Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest this week is Christy Hilly with Azure Agency. Christy, how you doing? Really good. How are you? I'm good. I'm just really relieved that I pronounced your last name correctly. Too. All the while I've been mispronouncing it in the time you've been here at Azure. Although, as I was saying before we hit record, I don't think I've ever used your last name. I just call you Christy. I don't walk in your office and say, Christy Hilly, I need your attention. I just go right to the first name. All right, enough about that. How is your day going here at Azure Agency? Oh, today everything's been pretty good, actually. Um just doing my normal optimizing campaigns, planning for the future, figuring out what Facebook's released lately. That sounds like, a lot. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> you know, it's not that bad, yeah. really, once you get into it. And alongside that, you also are involved in a volunteer endeavor that we will get into. And how are you feeling about that? Because this podcast will actually come out, come out after that volunteer endeavor is over, but you're in the Mist of it right now. Yes. Um, so I've been the festival director of Hopnobbin Film Festival with two other amazing women for four years now. Okay. It seems like a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be this Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So it's Fort Wayne's Film Festival. It's a fundraiser for Fort Wayne Cinema Center. And it's a really great opportunity to celebrate independent films from all over the world and Indiana. All right. I want to come back to that and learn more about that as part of your career path. We will weave that in really well in just a few minutes. But... Actually, that's kind of where my career started was at Cinema Center. So All right. Well, tell me more about that. More. Let's, let's start at whatever the beginning is. Um, did you grow up in Northeast Indiana? Yes, I am from New Haven originally, yeah. but pretty much have stayed here my okay. entire life. All right. And what were you originally thinking about in terms of a career path? And did you go down that road or did you take a detour? <laughs> I laugh at that question um, only because I remember staunchly walking into, I went to PFW mm -hmm. as an undecided major. Yeah. And they threw us in, into the comm department. Yep. And the advisor at the time asked me the same question. Like, what do you want to do? What are you interested yeah. in? I'm like, I don't know. I kind of want to be a film critic. And then he was like, well, I don't know if that's a great career path, <laughs> but maybe that can happen. Yeah. And instead he was like, you can study things from a rhetorical theory lens that's doing the exact same thing, just in a more fun way. Okay. And so then I became a rhetoric nerd and wanted to be a doctor in feminist rhetorical criticism. Okay. Did not do that. Chose the marketing path instead of the academia path. So where did that fork in the road come in and, and why did you oh, choose the marketing path? Um, I had a lot of people in my life that were in one of two camps. So I had a ton of friends who work in different areas in the community that yep. are in marketing that were, you should be in marketing, mm -hmm. you should do this. Um, and then on the other side, I had two PhDs that were, you should do mm -hmm. academia. Mm -hmm. This is what you need to yeah. do in your life. And I think all of them were kind of taking bets on what I was going to do and <laughs> yeah. which direction I would go in. And it honestly just came down to the fact that it was really difficult for me to leave the Fort Wayne area mm -hmm. and to leave the community that I'd built for myself. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think that I would want to just grade other people's papers all the time, which yes, is inevitable. I, you know this. I hear it. I hear you loud and clear. Yeah. yeah. If, if a PhD had meant 
you are going to teach class and just teach class and not grade papers and not do research, I would have been in. But when I looked at, oh, I'm going to be reading a lot and writing a lot and not in front of students a lot, that's not for me. That's See, that was the opposite for me. Really? I wanted to do the research component. And that's where I was like, yes, I want to do this. This will be great. I can unbreak a lot of different barriers. I can also teach students, but I didn't feel confident enough in my writing abilities to be okay. able to critique others. Huh. Well, maybe we should combine our superpowers. Right. You can great. do all the hard work and I'll do the easy part. <laughs> Nick, that sounds like this podcast where Nick in the background does all the hard work and I do all the talking and maybe maybe we should think about that sometime. All right. So we digress. Let's get back on track. Sorry, my fault. So <laughs> you choose you choose the marketing path. Mm-hmm. What about that? It kept you in Fort Wayne. Was there anything else that made you say, yeah, this is where I want to be? Well, in terms of, uh, I'll address the marketing element first. So I started my marketing career off when I was 20. Okay. Um, super young yeah. at the time. Sure. Um, and it was both difficult and challenging to be in that world. I was just a marketing assistant mm-hmm. um, at Aunt Millie's Bakeries, mm-hmm. and I had done a lot of volunteer work for a cinema center yep. getting, it was more of a development volunteer position there at the time, getting... Um, just like they used to do a silent auction every year. And the head of marketing at Aunt Millie's was on the board there and was like, oh, you should come be my new assistant. Uh Uh-huh. And I was Was like- Was this Melissa uh, Dunning? It was Melissa Dunning, yes. Melissa, former guest of the podcast. Yes, it was. Okay. Um, So she brought me in. I got the job. It was so strange because before that, I was just working at a gas station Mm part-time while going to college. I- had no idea what I wanted to do in my life outside of, I think, maybe academia. Yep. So being in that environment where I was in school, but also had to be a professional version of myself was very, very strange mm-hmm. because I was like, I'm going to class at night and I'm hanging out with my friends. What is everyone else doing this weekend? Oh, we've got kids games, soccer games. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is how you do work. This is what an office job looks like. This yeah. is how you send a professional email. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Well, and this sounds this kind training. of- training. Yeah, this is kind of obvious, but we don't have a lot of experience hanging out with people other than our peers until you go to work, right? You're surrounded oh, by yeah. other people in school who are your age, who have the same interests, and all of a sudden you're thrust into this adult world. And it's very scary. It was for me at least- It was. And it was a really great opportunity. I ended up working there until I graduated college a little bit afterwards, actually. Um, Anthony, I think you'll know most of the people that I might name drop throughout this conversation, just as a heads up. But what really forced me, getting back to your original question, to stay in Fort Wayne was just the accessibility to different... At the time, career opportunities, Mm -hmm. but then also the ability to get involved in the community. So, yes, you can do that on a college campus. But when I look at my friends who lived in Indy or Chicago or Grand Rapids, to have that on-the-ground involvement with local arts nonprofits or just making a difference in general, Mm -hmm. it felt like there were limited opportunities there. Yeah. Whereas in Fort Wayne, I have found... 
that there are a lot of ways to be involved and to really take action for what matters to you. Yeah, well, it's, you know, the way I've described it, I think that's really, um, really an interesting viewpoint because the way I've described it to people is it's a big enough place that there's things that need to be done and can be done but it's small enough that you have the opportunity to do them and there's not other people in the way. Sometimes it's collaboration, right? There's people doing stuff already and you can join them, but there's a lot of things that you can just do it and lead it if you are willing to do the work. And that's, that's pretty unique and that's fun. So you're, you're at Aunt Millie's for how long? Oh goodness. Um, I think it was about four years. Okay. Right. And then what actually happened there was I had asked for a raise. And yeah. at that time, they were not able to give me that raise. Yeah. But they didn't want to lose me. Okay. So they decided to outsource me to a digital marketing agency, Common People United, uh-huh. to have me be their account executive and okay. to also grow and learn my skills in digital marketing. Got it. Okay. So you're still going to work with us, but you're not going to work for us. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So how, hmm, interesting. Were you working on other clients or just Aunt Millie's? It was, uh, Aunt Millie's was one of the largest clients that Common People United had at Mm -hmm. the time. It was a lot of work for the whole team, so mm-hmm. it took up the most, yeah. the majority of my time. Mm-hmm. However, when they moved into a different direction and started doing website installations, I would help out with that. Okay. And really with a lot of their internal marketing, which surprisingly enough isn't the first time that I've had to take charge for an agency's internal marketing. Okay. So. All right. So you, so so you learned digital then by virtue of this job change. Is that correct, or were you doing some previous? I had been doing a little at yeah. Aunt Millie's. I'd been running mostly um, paid ads on mm-hmm. Facebook. I don't even think Instagram had a paid option at mm-hmm. that time. They didn't. I remember pretty much running Facebook ads. I think two years after yeah. it started mm-hmm. being a mon- thing that you could monetize. Yeah. So I'd been doing some of that stuff. I wrote, ooh, yeah, I was a memory. Um, <laughs> I wrote all of their social media copy at yeah. that time too and okay. helped uh, pull different images that they had in their catalog, which is just very ironic because I can't have gluten. So I spent <laughs> like six years of my life writing a ton of bread puns and just really thinking about bread and how to sell that to a consumer. Uh, um, Lots of moms with kids, lots of um, crunchy granola moms and like fitness people and like weight loss things. I'm like, oh man, I really loved that experience. I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. You're living a gluten-rich lie. Yeah, pretty much. So, so... Um, Common People United, you're there for how long? And then where do you go from there? I think I was there for roughly, I want to say two years. I think it was a little bit longer than yeah. that. Um, I really enjoyed my time there. It was my first agency experience. Everyone was so great. I'm and you're still, working with Katie Pruitt, who's awesome. I love Katie yeah, so much. Katie's great. She's fantastic. Danny yep. Pye is fantastic. Yep. Alex Jonathan Brown is also fantastic. I have so many just fond memories of doing work with them and for them and 
traveling the U.S. doing experiential marketing by going to tailgates and yeah. shooting video, writing the copy, putting it as an ad on Facebook, literally all in a weekend. Yeah. Like, it was just a blast, and I learned so much. So a question we can edit out if you don't want to answer <laughs> it, but if you liked it so much, why did you decide to do something else? So I actually ended up going back to Aunt Millie's. As I mentioned earlier, they were starting to go into a different direction yeah. where their business model wanted to focus more on helping small businesses mm -hmm. to or nonprofits in the area. Mm -hmm build websites that worked for them and do it really quickly yep. because you know as we know building a website takes a lot of time yep. you have to have the content you yep. have to have the design like you just have to have all your ducks in a row yeah and for a lot of businesses that price point can sometimes feel a little overwhelming sure. yeah so they were trying to reduce some of that and give businesses an opportunity to have a really nice, well-built website that they could use and not have to have a developer go in and change things mm -hmm. within a week mm -hmm. on site wow. at a client. Yeah. And at that time, I think I've grown a lot since then, but mm -hmm. at the time it was definitely overwhelming to have that sprint mentality as mm -hmm. opposed to that marathon mentality. Yeah. So after we did a couple of those, I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is the right mm -hmm. direction. Yep. And I think they recognized it too. And we had a little conversation yeah. and then I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. It is time to find something different. Yep. This makes sense. Um, it was, it was very amicable. Yeah. And then the former employer says, we want you back. So it's a yeah. easy transition back to the same employer. And your second stint, how long are you there at that point? Not as long. Um, I think it was, I'm trying to remember the dates. They all blur together, honestly. Um, I think it was a, there for about a year and a half to two years okay. again. All right. That seemed to be my sweet spot for a while was that yeah. one to two year range. Okay. Um, that was a lot of fun because I had a lot more control. Mm -hmm. So I could try to experiment, experiment with different tactics that I hadn't used in the past. Mm -hmm. um, I launched two new brands um, on digital platforms, hired Common People United to do websites for two or three of them. Yep. Um, so again, that relationship was still working really well. But I really got to think through and plan the full year-long marketing strategy for a lot of brands in terms mm -hmm. of digital marketing. So you're doing a lot more thinking and a lot less that's just reactive to other people's thinking at that point. It was a lot more having that trust yeah. to just like formulate the strategy and do it yeah. and just really have budget as a limitation as mm -hmm. opposed to this is how targeting on Facebook works. Yeah. This is how, this is the type of creative that we should be doing. This is all the things that go into the launch of a campaign. This is why we need to have X, Y, Z. Yeah. It was, I need X, Y, and Z. What vendor can I use? Mm -hmm. Where do I go to get X? Like all of the things that I need. What direction should it be in? Like I got to art direct some photo shoots and like do food photography type stuff with some amazing vendors and, you know, write blog posts about bread and like healthy living, work with dietitians, mm -hmm. like, and really take ownership over that, Yeah, which was, it felt like a really big 
career goal to finally reach that point of yeah. being, okay, I'm in-house, I have a team, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, they trust me and I get to make some decisions. Yeah. yeah. So you're there about a year and a half, two years, your second stint. Is your next move to the agency you worked at prior to Asher? No. No. Okay. Where do you go from there? So after that period of like hyper growth mm-hmm. and learning and really having that control, I was just, I felt like I was doing the same thing all the time. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I've got the system set up. I know how it works. This is how we do this and this and this. This is what we do at this season. Okay. That's fun. I'd like to find something different. Yeah. So um, actually, it's not what you know. It's who you know. Um, my dear friend and mentor, Danny Pye, was working at a tech nonprofit based in California um, that helped underrepresented entrepreneurs gain access to resources and people that could help them grow their business. Mm-hmm. And she was looking for someone else to support their member experience team. And they met with me. It was a great interview. I really felt connected to that mission. I was so nervous about working remotely. I got this job in March of 2020, just oh, wow. as a heads up. Wow. And, you know, I decided, okay, let's go for it. Let's mm-hmm. do the tech industry. Yeah. Let's see how this works out. I'm don't have to do marketing every day. I still do did do a lot of their growth marketing there, sure. but it was taking a different lens and angle, mm-hmm. which was great. Yeah. And again, I started that the day that shutdowns <laughs> happened. Oh, wow. And we were helping small entrepreneurs oh, that geez. owned restaurants, yeah. sold merch, did things in front of people, yeah. nail design, estheticians. It was the most exciting first day of work that I have ever had. It was total pandemonium. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. To say the least. So through no fault of your own, that probably doesn't last very long because of the state of the world. How long are you there? And then what's the next move? Oh, I was actually there for two and a half years. Um, More or less. I think, yeah, it was close to two years. I absolutely loved that job. It was so rewarding and so fulfilling. I got to be a mentor to so Mm -hmm. many different people. Mm Mm-hmm. I got to teach them the best ways to authentically be yourself. Mm -hmm. I got a crash course in DEI training Mm -hmm. and really that for that just so ahead of its time notion to this is how we treat other people and and systemic racism and sexism in an everyday setting. Mm -hmm. It was honestly a dream job in a lot of different ways. And I got to do marketing tactics. I got to run Facebook campaigns Mm -hmm. and Google search and really devise a learning curriculum for people to teach them how to run and start a business and really help other people through that. And also like running virtual networking events with like Fortune 500 companies like Accenture and Goldman Sachs, like did not think I would ever be doing that. So, so it was a blast. It truly was. Yeah. So we're we're establishing a theme here. Again, I will ask the question. If you don't like the question, we can edit it out. I am happy to answer this question. Yes. So you love it. It's a dream job, but you stopped doing it. Why? 
Unfortunately, my past two jobs that I had worked before I ended up here at Asher um, were both in that startup mindset. Yeah. And the owners of those companies or founders were horrible owners and horrible leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, They both had a lot of... uh, Big egos and the mentality that you work your employees, they have no work-life balance. Yeah. Or if it wasn't even that, it was just the sense of, I will never give you clear direction on how to do anything. I will berate you in front of meetings. It was oh, hot. It was hostile yeah. and toxic. Yeah. Honestly. Sounds like it. Yeah. And, you know, there came a point when... We all collectively came together when mm-hmm. I was at the tech company, all of the employees, every single one of them, all women and people of color, might I add, mm-hmm. to talk to this white owner and say, you are participating in a lot of microaggressions. You are creating a hostile work environment. Like We are preaching this community of respect and inclusion and you are treating everyone on the team completely opposite to that. So how was that received? He took some time away and was supposed to undergo some training and nothing ever happened. Okay. And that's when I needed to find a new job Yeah. because it was just a horrible experience. And I am happy to say that as of, two weeks ago, I believe, that everyone that I cared about that still worked at that job is gone. And I think everyone has left with that same conclusion. Yeah, well, and I it's... I wish the best for them. It's, because it's inevitable question. what happens in that situation. People only, especially now, I think there was a time when that was maybe tolerated, not enjoyably, but people were a little bit less likely to think they had options. And now people know they have options. <laughs> Well, and especially, you know, it really was a great learning opportunity for me because I was the person, I was the only person on Eastern time. They were all on Pacific. Mm -hmm. I would wake up at 9 a.m., work till 9 p.m. at night. And really, I lived to work. I was a workaholic. Mm -hmm. And then after that job, I was like, nope, there are other things that are more important. I can still do a lot of important work that matters to me. Yeah. But I don't have to do that as a part of my job. Sure, sure. And that line can be personal fulfillment. Mm -hmm. I'd love it to be professional fulfillment. Yep. But it made me a better person because I got to think about the world differently. Sure. And also get to know myself better and say, okay, these are the red flags when you're going into a new job and a new career path. And once those come up and once those start to happen... You know, it's time to bounce. It really should not matter if you've worked at a job for 10 years, three months. If you're leaving a position, it's likely not you. It's likely because your employer did something wrong. Well, and it's a tough lesson to learn, but once you learn it, it sticks with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So so let's talk about where you are now. How long have you been at Asher to date-ish? It was three months, I think, this week it's my 90 days all right and tell the folks who are listening what your role is and what exactly that involves 
So I am a digital media buyer here yep. at Asher. And I'm still learning a lot of what that looks like and what that involves. But the primary majority of what I do is, which is so exciting to me because I've been an account manager and everything else outside of just a media buyer. Yeah. I've had to do everything. So to just focus in on placing ads, coming up with ad strategy, learning different platforms, um, contributing to reporting on how well a campaign performed or how well it did not go. Yeah. Um, those are some of the things that are in my daily work line. So in previous roles, you were also doing some of the creative. You were also doing some of the account I was stuff. Doing everything. Is, is there any of that you miss? Do you Was the variety good or do you like being in a more narrow lane where you can get some depth? You know, I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. There are a lot of things that I really like because I'm honing in on one thing and trying to get really, really good at it mm -hmm. and learning more from wonderful people like Dave and yep. Jen and Grant and really having a team of people who are doing this with me yeah. and teaching me and learning from one another. That's been really cool. I do miss some of the aspects of, you know, again, being in that more like control position mm -hmm. of um, coming up with, I really miss the creative aspect of it, honestly. Um, but, you know, I get to do that in my personal life. Sure. So sure. it all works out. Well, and it's, you know, it's a trade-off. It's one of the things I've thought about because when I started here, I think there were 23 employees. Oh, wow. And you just had to do more things. Mm -hmm. So I was, I'm a writer by background. I was doing a lot of writing. Yeah. And I kind of liked it because it was the known quantity. It was the thing that I was like, all right, I only have one skill, this is it. And a lot of the account side was sort of the great unknown and I wasn't as confident in that area. Um, now we definitely have writers better than me by far. So I opt out of a lot of stuff, but there's still times when I'm like, you know, I liked when I was making things, but the advantage yeah. is being able to do more and I think have more of an impact because you bring in the right team and you get out of their way and don't get, you know, so spread out on things that you never get anything done. Yeah. And that's ultimately what I think I'm falling into. And again, with my volunteer life, I get to do pretty much whatever I want. So yeah. it's a nice balance to really just focus in on one thing yeah. and do that well. Well, and it's just great. Well, and it's great that you look at the different aspects, the volunteer aspects, as as complements to what you're doing in your work life. Because yeah. a lot of people see it as as different. But it sounds like there's a lot of uh, you know things you want to things you, different facets you want to have, but you, you can get to those a lot of different ways. Let's talk about that. So you mentioned Hobnob, and that's coming up this weekend. That will be. This podcast episode would come out after that. Um, but w is that the main thing you're doing on the volunteer side, or are there other things you're involved in? So the main thing that I do is um, run the Hopnobin Film Festival. I'm also um, the vice president of the Cinema Center board, um, as well as I serve on the Fort Wayne Dance Collective Marketing Committee as well. Okay. So. I like the Hall Center and the arts nonprofits that they have there, and I tend to direct my time there. However, I have done some other volunteer, like, what I like to say is volunteer work, but it was really just incredibly low-paying <laughs> work at the time to help people out as well. Yeah. 
Um, but that's where my focus is right now because okay. it does take about nine months of doing nothing else but planning a film festival to make it happen. So tell us a little bit more about the film festival. You've been involved now, I think you said, for four years? I have been involved since the very first festival. Okay. Um, my relationship with the Cinema Center is 10 years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I started there as a marketing intern mm-hmm. and then worked in the box office. Quit there when I started at Common People United so that I could volunteer the second year for Hobnob and Film Festival, but I was working there the first year. Okay. All right. And for those who don't know, Cinema Center Center is independent film. It's a small theater. It is not going to play the latest blockbuster film. <laughs> By and large, it won't. Um, really, the mission of what Cinema Center does is it tries... It's, I think it succeeds in bringing people together to have a conversation about what they just watched on mm-hmm. screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so the new executive director... Um, has done an amazing job at really bringing in Q&As after every single movie that screens there. It's an event every single Friday. They just wrapped up the Bill Blass event, I believe, a couple weeks ago and had some people there talking about the film, being on a panel, and really bringing different people from the community in mm-hmm. to contextualize what you're seeing on screen. Mm-hmm. And also learning stuff like Marcel the Shell's, uh that is a tongue twister, <laughs> Marcel the Shell with shoes on played there and they had the set designer oh, wow. um, virtually attend and talk about what goes into set design for this film. So I love the mission that they're going in. As somebody who's been a part of that work for 10 years, it's a really cool place. Check it out if you haven't. Go see something. It's delightful. So so how has Cinema Center bounced back from the pandemic? I know that they were oh, closed for quite some time. That was um, rough. Yeah. Yeah, how have they bounced back from that, and what's the current state of the film festival? So they bounced back primarily by leaning in on those community engagements, right? Mm -hmm. So building those partnerships, um, focusing in on grants, and really reestablishing the relationship that a lot of people who were at the organization previously did not do. So they're very much so focused on showing films and having people talk about them and being that hub for filmmakers and film lovers in the Mm -hmm. area. Okay. Um, So that's how they've recovered. Sure. Um, I will say, and this podcast will air when this is relevant, that they're in their – they need – $41,000 by the end of February to buy a new projector. The old one that they have is 10 years old and is failing. So if you would like to donate to that, please go to cinemacenter.org slash donate to contribute so that we don't have to go dark again because it is a huge financial undertaking to purchase a piece of equipment that large. And we have done so much work as a board, all of the staff there, that it would be a shame to lose that momentum and that feeling that it's finally right and that we have recovered because of equipment failure. Okay, and that's cinemacenter.org slash donate. Yes. Okay, all right, we've gotten that plug in. I just in. built that web page last night, so <laughs> okay. I should know it. All right. Um, so, see, you are still creating stuff. You're creating yeah, pages. I yeah. do um, web design on the in my spare time, primarily the stuff that our lovely web team at Asher can't do, which is yeah. more Squarespace sites that can be used for smaller businesses that can't afford 
a lot of um, really nice technical designs that <laughs> look the more off the and shelf function stuff. pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which absolutely yeah. has its place. So interesting fact, you may know this, I suspect you do, but a former guest on the podcast, Brad Bors, Brad Bors Films, actually met his significant other, his wife, at Cinema Center when he was here presenting a documentary film that he had made, and she was in the audience, they met, and now the rest is history. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great Cinema Center story. That is really sweet. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, well, let's pivot to some of the speed round questions I like to ask guests. We're going to start with career path. You've learned a lot of things the hard way. You've done a lot of things in a relatively short amount of time, a lot of different roles. You've learned some things about yourself. The world has changed during that time. What is your one best piece of career advice and all that? What have you learned about building, about building, excuse me, a fulfilling career, a career that works for you that you think is useful for other people to know? You know, I've been thinking about that a lot throughout the day in anticipation of coming on here. And the first thing that I thought of is the first thing that I'm going to say is just to trust your intuition and know that that is right. If something seems like a red flag or doesn't feel right, it probably is. If you have a really great idea, it doesn't matter how old you are, Mm -hmm. right? 20-year-olds coming out of college can look at a piece of design or a marketing strategy, they'll have ideas about it. They might not be the best ideas, but they're still ideas and it's still valuable to contribute. And so trusting that and really not being afraid to share your ideas and to truly be your, your authentic self when you're in the workplace is probably the biggest career advice that I could give. I've spent a lot of time trying to feel comfortable with my own narrative and a lot of the things that I've had to overcome and a lot of my own insecurities. And I'm glad I finally got there and I know I still have work to do, but just being comfortable in your own skin and being a smart, competent person and knowing that is the most important thing in the world. Well, I think that's great advice and and it's really about balance. I mean, one of the things I've learned is, yeah, there's something to experience. Experience can generate a lot of good ideas, but there's also something about that perspective that isn't bogged down by precedent. Somebody who doesn't really have preconceptions about how it all works, that's where some of the best ideas. It's, it's truly one of the things I like most about working here is we have folks like me who are a little older who have some experience, but we also have fresh perspectives. And I'm not just talking about age in a number of different ways people bringing ideas to the table that I certainly wouldn't come up with on my own. Um, I think we do a good job of tapping into that. There's always room for improvement there. But, you know, trusting those instincts, as you said, and knowing that your ideas are worthwhile, even if they haven't been tested by a traditional career path, I think that's important. And also a traditional college path either. either. So I went to PFW and I felt kind of, I don't want to say insecure about it, but I did not go for marketing. Mm -hmm. I never took a marketing class at all. I never took a business class, a finance class, any of it. Mm -hmm. I went for English writing Mm -hmm. and rhetorical theory in the comm department. Yeah, That is where I lived and played, and it was great. All of that had massive guidance on how I look at marketing as a person. And... 
I know that these marketing degrees are so important for everyone. We need the business people, but to really get a view of what life is like and, you know, the doing versus the writing about how to do it mm-hmm. is important too. Yeah, well, there's still a lot of art to it. There's there's a lot more science, but there's a lot of art to it. I mean, I came out of college as an English major. My only skills were I can I can tell a story and understand stories and I can write a decent sentence. And my thought after finishing with a degree is I was like, I'm not sure anyone needs that. And now, 30 years removed, it's like, no, everyone needs that. They just happen to call it marketing. So it's really about some of those foundational skills. I'm a big believer in, you know, people who want to go to, you know, a one-year certificate program, learn a specific skill, and turn that into a career. That's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. That's awesome. But I'm equally as much of a fan as someone who will spend two to four years, sometimes six, sometimes more, just learning how the world works through stories, through other people's experiences, and you can turn that into a career too. And I think that um, the the fact that um, it's what we do is both art, art and science is one of the things that makes it interesting. I think so too. And it's honestly a little bit more fun to be on the... Um science side of things, um, really being on the back end, making the little creepy ads on the internet happen, and the technical side of that, because I'm more used to the art side of it, Yeah. or having most of my clients only care about the art side of it, <laughs> Yeah. and not the science side of it, and I've always been like back burner, like, no, if we do it this way, it's better. Yeah. So well, it's been fun to get both sides. And it's a lot harder to argue the <laughs> science side than it right? is the art side. Well, yeah. That's where everyone has the biggest arguments is truly on the science side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the art side, it's, well, everyone can pick apart a poster and say that they don't like it. Yeah. If you have enough research and know your target audience <laughs> enough, which is the science side of things. Yeah then it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Another case where you need both. You don't always want both, but you need both. Two sides of a coin. That is right. All right, second speed round question. You've been at Asher for a few months. I'm going to throw you a curveball with this one. Okay. What is something about Asher that has surprised you? And it doesn't have to be positive. It could be something that you said, I didn't expect this, this is a challenge, or it could be, I didn't know that this was here and it's great. Um... The first thing that pops into my head is, oh, no, why do they use Outlook? This is horrible. (laughs) I hate it with a fiery passion. Um, Please, Google, come back to me in my life. Um, But that's the boring on the surface, internal dread on the first day. Yeah. Darn. Yeah. uh, Gut reaction. (laughs) I think the thing that probably surprised me the most was... uh, I think I had a lot of good impressions going into it. Like I had been working remotely for two and a half mm-hmm. plus years sure. before coming to Asher. And I was like, okay, like I'm not gonna go work in an office in Fort Wayne unless it's at Asher agency and a position opened up and I made it here. Really? Okay. Yeah. Oh wow. Um which so glad that they posted that job on LinkedIn and well lucky for us that yeah. you had that thought That's yeah great. All right. so it was really great to see that open up so I I think I did a lot of homework before coming into the role I okay. asked a lot of people a lot of questions because I didn't want to get catfished like I had in previous jobs. <laughs> sure sure um do your homework it's important yeah 
But when I came in, I was really surprised at how warm everyone was um, and kind. I think that was the biggest thing that stuck out to me. Yeah. Um, it probably also helped me that our Asher retreat was, I think, two weeks after I started. Yeah, a really unique opportunity to meet everyone. Yeah. And to bond and to get to know people. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I think that was the thing that was the most surprising. It should be what's expected, yeah. but it's not always. Well, and it's I would say it's more rare than not. And yeah. I could be biased. I've been here for 18 years. so That's the other thing I was going to say is I came out of startup land where people, it's like, oh, you've been here for five years. You're a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. And so seeing so many people yeah. that have worked here for so long, I'm like, what? secret sauce is this like what's going on yeah i mean from my perspective it's i get to work with people who don't tolerate tyrants everyone is pretty nice yeah um everyone works really hard and is pulling in the same direction sometimes we disagree but everyone has the same goal i get a workplace that respects the outside the the rest of my life um doesn't mean i can do what I want to do whenever I want to do it, but it means that if I want work flexibility, I can have that. And that's true pre-pandemic. And added bonus, um, you know, we we get to do things that sometimes make a small dent in the universe. What's yeah. what's not to like? That's and I'm like, you know, maybe maybe I should have challenged myself at some point and gone somewhere else, but it's kind of like I have, for me, the perfect work life. Why change? Well, and that's the other thing that I've noticed here, too, is that when I look at a lot of the different team members, um, I know that Brandon has learned a lot and has continuously tried to push himself in the web team Mm -hmm. to learn more, to be better, to really hone in his skill. I look at Sean, who taught himself how to make floating Cheetos happen for one of our clients. (laughs) Yeah. And Dave, who is constantly meeting with new vendors and figuring out what's going on that's new in the world that is digital marketing. I haven't seen a lot of other agencies for people who've been here for so long have that same drive. It's Mm -hmm. usually, this is the formula that we use. This is how we're doing this. This is our package. You get this package. Mm -hmm. Whereas at Asher, I see people striving to learn more and be better to help the company grow. Yeah. Well, and it's to help clients at the end of the day, too. I mean, what what I've said to people before is when we hire people, yes, we look for skill set in the area where they're going to be working, but we also look for, are they going to fit in at a a place where there's a lot of different personalities? The one common denominator is that most people are decent most days, right? Everybody has bad days. Um, But the other common denominator is we hire people who are kind of in a sneaky way, learners and teachers. They thrive by learning new things and they thrive by sharing that information with other people. Um, And I'll circle back to what we started with. You know, my sort of natural inclination is to want to be in front of people sharing what I know and then in the audience learning from them what they know. And I get to do that every day, which is kind of great. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really unique place to be. Yeah, yeah. All right, one last question for you. Okay. So a tool, a trick, a tip, a hack, call it what you will, something you use, and we know the answer is not Outlook, every day 
that you really love, really depend upon. It could be something widely known. It could be something that's underappreciated that you think deserves a mention. A very, very specific hack is that you can change the color of your Slack to a custom color theme, Uh um, which makes me feel better about my day because (laughs) I have a lot of Slack channels that I am in for different companies and groups that I've been a part of. Okay. And I like that visual differentiation. All right. Also, the fact that you can schedule emails. It's yes. a really big one Love that it. I feel like other people don't use as often as you they You can schedule should. slacks, too. I know. Yeah. It's amazing. Everyone should do it. Absolutely. I don't understand why they don't. Yes. Um, that's the main one off the top of my head because I'm just a huge... I've been using Slack for like 10 years since it's So what's your initial. color... What's your current color scheme on Slack? I have them color-coded, one for Asher using the Asher colors uh-huh. and then one for Hobnob and using uh-huh. Hobnob colors. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, a little visual pretty. cue, here's what I'm working on. And dark mode is amazing and always um, get the additional filters on your glasses because mm-hmm. if you're staring in front of a computer, you will need them and it's worth the cost. And these are the blue light filters? Yes. All right, I have one on, I recently got a very inexpensive Kindle because I'm very frugal and it came with that built in and I was like, This is great. Yeah, it's it's worth it. it. Um, I I do want to use your comment about Slack and scheduling messages to explain something to my coworkers, because hopefully our coworkers are listening to this or we're listening to this. I was lambasted in Slack because I posted that I was out of office twice, and it was the same, about the same day, about two hours apart. The mistake that I made is I scheduled that two days prior, and I forgot that I scheduled, so I did it again. So there's the answer to the mystery. It is the flaw in scheduling ahead of times is sometimes you will duplicate efforts, but it's still a sneaky way to look like you're doing something in the moment when you in fact are not. I've done that before. Yeah. That's why I laugh. All right. I'm going to go change my color scheme in Slack now because I don't think I've done that and I should. It's really pretty. All right. It's great. I'm going to do that. Well, Christy, thank you so much for doing this. It's been fun learning more about you. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with all of us. Awesome. Thank you, Anthony. And good luck with the film festival. Thank you. Which will be done by the time this is out in the world. So yes, but can... submissions will be open for 2023. Aha. Okay. So filmmakers can attend. And or again, apply. cinemacenter.org for that? Yes. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, now that we have plugged that, it is time for us to go. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Asher Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next week with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then.